Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cup Reviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. I am your host, marketing manager, holiday elf, Mackenzie, and I am joined today by a fantastic panel, and this is a very special holiday episode. We've already released our Santa Claus scene last week, and this week we are covering the special production of the Nutcracker. From 2017, and it was put on via Broadway HD by the Royal Ballet from good old Jolly Old England. So, yes. And the production stars Cat star Francesca Hayward as the titular lead role of Clara. So if you're a fan of the movie Cats, this is definitely a piece of work for you. Uh, there we go. But yes, that is what we're covering today. And joining me, as I said, we have a fantastic uh, panel. Uh, first off, we have Emma. Uh, I'm going to do this right. Kirsten. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Hello, Emma. How are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm well, thanks. Um, I'm just here in the Maritimes mm. right now, hanging out. Um, happy to be here. Okay. I'm a dancer. So this is a nice opportunity. I I am more in mm -hmm. contemporary dance, but definitely have a lot of Nutcracker <laughs> in my past. So have you done a Nutcracker production back in like, like back in the dance studio days? Uh, unavoidable. <laughs> yes, I have. It was a gigantic, gigantic part of my dance upbringing from like age eleven to. Wow, like, that's fantastic! Fantastic. And what's in your cup today? Um. Okay, I'm ashamed to admit mm -hmm. that it is water, but my cup's Ooh, really nice, so. Looks very festive. A little local Love pottery. It. Love it. Reminds me of almost like the end of a snowstorm when like the sun is kind of breaking through post-snowstorm. We do have a giant snowstorm. Perfect. Right now, so. Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, next, we have the wonderful Anna uh, Paley. Said that right? Yes? Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Hello, Anna. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank you. Wonderful. Welcome, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself because you're our next newest panelist. That's right. I'm here for the first time. Thanks for mm -hmm. having me. Mm -hmm. um, so I am in Toronto right now, um, mm -hmm. sitting in my home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, usually I would be mm -hmm. at the University of Toronto. Uh, I'm a fourth year PhD student at the Center for Drama, Theater and Performance Studies. Mm -hmm. I'm specializing in dance history, so early 20th Ooh. century. Um, and specifically, uh, visual culture surrounding Eastern European traveling dancers. So drawings, paintings, sculptures that were created from their performances. Wow. Okay. That's so my shtick. Perfect. So we actually, so, 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 so you also have a bit of a dance background. Have you ever done a production of the Nutcracker yourself? 
I actually have not, but I was born in Ukraine. So I moved here when I was nine. So before that and after as well, uh, I went to see the Nutcracker and other ballets with my family, like Mm -hmm. a lot, often. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ballet and opera was mandatory. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And next we have my wonderful fellow York University alumni, my DT survivalist, like, like, like myself. Ms. Haley Pace. Hello, Haley. Hi, Mac. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us after your very busy day today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, I'm sure some of our viewers are like, where have I seen her? Yeah, Haley. yeah. Um, well, I graduated from the design and device theater programs at York. And then um, I was like, you know, I don't really want to do theater anymore because <laughs> it it just wasn't enough for me. So mm-hmm. I, for some reason, me and theater didn't get along too well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I ended up transitioning into film. I ended up mm-hmm. being a production designer for film, uh, designed several projects over the past four years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've also kept working on my craft as an actor um, mm-hmm. since I graduated, since 2016, I appeared on Shit's Creek, In the Dark, and The Expanse. So those are all pretty no- notable TV shows that I'm extremely yes. proud of. Yes. And uh, yeah, I just today I just did my uh, grad school acting audition for NYU Tisch. So Woo! fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed the surprise of when you popped up on Shit's Creek because I had totally forgotten. You you appeared in that you appear, you appeared in that escape room episode, and when the hood come up, came off, I was like, "Oh, it's Haley!" <laughs> yeah, honestly, Eugene and all of them are such a pleasure. I mm-hmm. forced myself to sit with them at lunch and like, just absorb everything I possibly could from them. Good. It was crazy and amazing, mm-hmm. and I still can't believe it happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe we'll do a separate side convo. We'll yeah. film one of those and we'll get all the inside deets about working on the Canadian, now Canadian classic, Shit's Creek. Yes, so. absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But all right. And Hilly, what is in your cup today? Oh, it's it's my favorite beverage, which is lemon water. Nice. <laughs> That's the nice. only thing I've been drinking today. <laughs> good, good. Oh, and, and what was in your cup? I, I, I don't know if we got to see what was in your cup yet. That's right. So in my cup here, which is little polka dots, gold polka dots on teal, I yes. have uh, peppermint tea. Mm, perfectly fitting, mm-hmm. like tonight's um, uh, play. I feel like peppermint tea is a really so. good fit for this. For sure. Uh, and for me, I am drinking, so I, I, I have a bit of a red theme going in honor of the Nutcracker. So I'm, I'm even drinking some Diet Cranberry Ginger Ale as well. So I, I'm red throughout in my lovely ch- um, uh, tankard mug. Tankard. <laughs> a tankard. My tankard mug. Yes. Uh, but all right, why don't we get into this uh, this cracker of a piece? So first off, we always start with the classic question of which character do we feel was best performed? And this is a big cast. So, Emma, seeing as you have performed in this uh, ballet before, who do you feel best represented their character? I mean, in terms of being mm-hmm. a performer, I, although I didn't know about the cat's detail, I would go with Clara. <laughs> yes, yeah, Francesca Hayward. <laughs> I don't know if that warps. No, I mean, like, I, I mean, like, I mean, like, I'll no, say no, no, she no. was very good dancing in the Cracker. Not the best singer, 
And most certainly we can have a debate about the fact that she's a BIPOC performer and they made her into the bleach white cat. That's a whole <laughs> other different conversation to be had. But she is fantastic. And, she, and from all the interviews I've watched with her, she seems like an absolutely lovely individual. So tell us a little bit more about why you thought uh, Francesca Hayward uh, was, was your standout of the night. Well, she brought me back to to like what it felt like to be in mm-hmm. the Nutcracker when everything is kind of like this magical, mm-hmm. wonderful world. And it's this over-the-top... Like she was so lovely, it made me sick. Like it was just so pure, and so so yes. ballet. <laughs> but she was doing it flawlessly, and there was only like one moment where it just also melted my heart because it was like the little bit mm-hmm. of real shining through that mm-hmm. like performed ballet aesthetic that she just did beautifully. Um, it was like the thing we all used to do on stage when we're coming this way and yes. the audience is over there and we're like, so how are you? Oh. <laughs> like I just, I caught, and they were, they were zoomed in on her and she like mumbled something to the lady that she yes. was approaching. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's nice. I love that. But other than that, it just felt really in the world of what they were doing. Cause I don't think that all the characters were really agreed performers, but she yes. held her own. Mm-hmm. And agreed. Them. Agree. There's a reason why I I I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know if it's Clara or 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 the sugar Bird that gets called the prima ballerina of the production. I don't know which one is which, or uh, in in those terms. But I definitely would say Clara as uh, was definitely she definitely was a Cinder. She definitely played that youthful energy that that character requires, and she has the great big eyes that really kind of sell. I genuinely thought that she was a mm-hmm. younger age than. All of the people mm-hmm. playing the adults in the party scene at the beginning, I genuinely thought that she was a younger <laughs> uh, dancer. And I thought, oh, that's cool. They don't quite get a child, yeah. like in some versions, but they don't <laughs> quite get an adult. And then she started dancing. I was like, oh, <laughs> she's an she is an adult. She is an adult in this. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Anna, how about you? Who did you feel was best performed tonight? Can I do a few, like maybe yes, two absolutely. best performers? Yes. Okay, so I totally agree with Emma and you, Mac, as well. I thought mm-hmm. that Francesca Hero was just like breathtaking, mm-hmm. uh, flawless, so nice, uh, and so expressive and emotive. Like what you said about her eyes, mm-hmm. totally agree with that. Uh, seems like she really loves what she does. So I really appreciate seeing that. I think like when you can see that through the dancing, that somebody's just like so happy to be at work <laughs> that's always really pleasant um and uh one moment that stood out for me actually i was actually a little bit like shocked in a positive way is i think um uh there was the one moment, one moment where she turned towards the audience and uh she actually cried i think i think there was like mm-hmm. tears i was like really she cried on command that's amazing so mm-hmm. that was really kind of uh I don't know. I got a little chills there. That was really nice. Uh, but that said, I think that um, I would have to give the sort of winning spot overall to the like a main flower from the flower waltz, if oh. you remember. So there's like this main. I, I don't actually rem- know what the official title of that character is, but it's the flower waltz. I looked at it was while well, scrolling the rose. Yeah, yeah. the rose, flower the rose, fairy. the flower fairy. She was called Rose Okay, something. so her. Flower. <laughs> yeah, she was wearing pink. And oh my goodness, I loved um, just her body language. I thought she was um, so like effortless in the way that she moved that she was, she allowed herself to 
uh, just risk like a lot on the stage. So like I saw her flying through the, across the entire stage in like three seconds. Yes. And that to me really took the, took the metal home. Okay. I got her name. I, fa- I found it. So the Rose mm-hmm. Fairy was played by, I'm going to butcher this. So I apologize in advance to this performer, but it, she was played by Yahui Choi. Mm-hmm. Cho. Cho. Yo, 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 who okay. show? Yeah, was the, was, mm-hmm. was the performer uh, of that particular thing. Yeah, so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Loved her. It's true, and I mean, considering that section of the I I, I call it the around the world uh, act like a sequence, the around the world <laughs> moment where you go from Arabia to Russia to all over the place. But she definitely was one of these standout performers, and that's a section that has a lot of memorable music. Where like you can remember certain ones, like the Russian dance is always stood out to me because the dances, the music is so iconic from that moment that the minute you hear it, you're like, ah, okay, I know exactly where we are. But she definitely had that precision of movement yeah. as well that really kind of drove that performance. Yeah. For sure. Haley. Yes. Who was your shout out of the night? Okay, so honestly, um, this was my first time. I'm watching this and I'm actually not that well versed in the world of ballet. So I actually don't know really much about it. And um, I just kind of analyzed this from sort of like a different perspective. Do it. Um, I didn't really come at it as like a dancer or knowing mm-hmm. much about the Nutcracker other than mm-hmm. like the basic story of it. Mm-hmm. So I just, this is this the inner designer in me. Mm-hmm. I'm always watching everything that happens in the background Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so i'm not always paying attention to like who's on the front of the stage Mm -hmm. just because i've been in the back of the stage as the ensemble so many times i like to watch what ensemble does Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and i like to watch how directors make stage pictures with the entire cast Mm -hmm. so i'm honestly watching the ensemble most of the time and i'm seeing like how they are directed and how they are blocked and how they are brought in and out of the stage. Mm-hmm. I always find that very, very fascinating because mm-hmm. blocking in groups this large is so complicated. Yes. And those are like the things that I was just, mm-hmm. I was just blocking. Like, oh, what is this person in the background whispering <laughs> to this other person? Or like, what are they, you know, are they actually having conversation? Are mm-hmm. they just like mouthing like the, the theater trick words? Like, cabbage, I'm always cabbage, very, cabbage, cabbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like vacuum or whatever. Like, yeah. I'm just like wondering <laughs> about all the people like who are BG. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, in the opening se- party sequence, there were some great character actors filling up the space. Like, there was the old kind of balding butlery character that was always kind of hobbling around in the background yeah. every time i saw him i was like what is he doing like he's just wonderfully like being his little character in the background or it's like the old grandmother in the wheelchair doing yeah. stuff like, like there's so many great this director um peter wright i believe is You're who right. is the director of this uh he did a fantastic job of building the rest of the world in those bigger scenes because you're right anytime when you're dealing with a big ensemble you can tell how good a director is because not only do they pay attention to what's in the foreground with their with their leads but also how well they manage the background because you can tell when especially in like not to bash community theater but a lot of times in community theater you have the townsfolk all standing along the back kind of all looking kind of like deer headlights so the fact that you have a director who is able to bring all that together and create such a whole world picture where you understood the world that the story was taking place in. 
So definitely yeah, get what like, you're coming from. It's pretty wild. Like mm-hmm. when, you know, even when I'm looking back on it right now, mm-hmm. it's like you can see that there are groups of people that are subdivided to mm-hmm. have different, different directions. Mm-hmm. So, like, some people are told to talk to each other. Some people are told to pay attention to what's happening in the mm-hmm. in the foreground. And all that is character. All yeah. of that is, is, it contributes to the life that of mm-hmm. the story and makes mm-hmm. it more real. So, yes. yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and my personal shout out for this goes out to Gary Athus, who played Erdrossomeyer. <laughs> He's amazing. That was he was so fun. He was His so cape. so many the magic, magic tricks. tricks. And I have to say, he nailed that cape. Like, I, yeah. like that cape looked like such a fun piece of costume work to play with. With the way he just flipped it, twirled it around himself. Like it was like, how could you not be having a big smile on your face when you get to do all the fun magic tricks of the night? And you and you get to twirl around in a cape. Like just like I remember doing that as a child with like my dress up capes that I would wear getting to swoosh them around so that you get to be an adult getting to get dressed up in the most fanciest three-piece fancy suit with a nice beautiful flowing cape behind you like it was gorgeous and he's the first character you see and he's one of the last ones you see at the end of, at the end of the performance and throughout the entire piece you're which continually being drawn to him and his reactions like he was such a great reactionary actor that allowed the action to take place in, uh, in the foreground while he was still able to elicit enough of a reaction that you wanted to see how he was reacting to those key moments of the story. It was like, sometimes when he would leave, it'd be like, oh, where did Uncle Drossel, or, or I guess this is Air Drosselmeyer, not Uncle Drosselmeyer, <laughs> as uh, some of the stories have him be. I'm also really happy they didn't go with the eye patch look. And for some reason, like Air Drosselmeyer gets a lot of the time where they determine almost like a bit of a pirate. And it's like, <laughs> why? Why is your trust a pirate? Thank God they didn't go that this time. They made him a nice dandy gentleman who gets to perform some really fun stage mm-hmm. magic, which actually sometimes made me go, how are they doing it? Like, like there was some moments oh, where I had to rewind yeah. just to like figure that out. So definitely Gary Aphis as Drosselmeyer. Oh yeah. And a lot of his choreography is pretty scary in the sense where like, yeah, he has to do like sleight of hand stuff mm-hmm. on stage. Like that metal ball that he did at the very yes. beginning, that is a classic magician's trick. And mm-hmm. to be able to to be doing magician's tricks while being like attached to strings and mm-hmm. all this other stuff, it's so technical. Mm-hmm. My technical brain is thinking like how many things could go wrong? Like, <laughs> you have to be rehearsing that so much. It's so rigorous on yes. top of just the motion and getting to the right places in the stage at the right time. Mm-hmm. Like, just from a technical perspective, it's actually gorgeous. Shout out to the little boy. I think he threw mm-hmm. that yes. too. I, I'm assuming it's attached to something because it like levitated over to this point. But still, the fact that you catch this metal thing flying at your head and you're like an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> very impressive. <laughs> very, very impressive indeed. So well done to this entire cast. I mean, this was a very solid cast that earned that standing ovation at the end of the performance, for sure. Um, now we get into what was our favorite production or design element. And for this, Haley, as... This is kind of where you went to school for, so you've probably had experience with these bigger sets. I think also, I remember correctly, you actually worked for the Canadian Ballet, didn't you? For a hot, I did for a hot second. So I did. 
uh, so I assume you worked on a production of Nutcracker while you were there. Uh, no, it actually wasn't that extensive. Oh. It was more of like a collaboration I did with the students there at the National Ballet. Ah, okay. Yeah, and uh, I was in charge of designing costumes for them. So mm. that was a brand new designing and building costumes for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was an endeavor that was very new as a yeah. costume designer because you know, putting, you know, paint on spandex is like a very different thing than applying fabric paint to any other kind of material and still having the spandex behave properly um, mm-hmm. while the dancers are dancing. So, yeah. yeah, that was that was definitely the biggest challenge. Um, and some of these costumes, like looking at them, they're incredibly complex and they mm-hmm. have to be well made, very, very well made. They go mm-hmm. through a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they have to be as well um, fit the period, which is also yes. a very tough thing when you're going for gowns. How are you supposed to have a, a ballet dancer um, shooting up a gown? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's complicated. It can be dangerous. So I definitely mm-hmm. uh, have have experience with this, and I look I look at how the costumes are made and see okay, like the PD, everyone mm-hmm. has gowns down to their ankles mm-hmm. and then the characters with that don't need period gowns it's always like from the knees up yeah otherwise it's a hazard mm-hmm. so you know it just makes me think about like the construction of the costumes and how far they had to go to make them structurally sound to last mm-hmm. a performance like this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah the costumes are absolutely stunning absolutely like mm-hmm. the, like especially once again the drosselmeyer costume that he wore with all those layers and that beautiful embroidery work that was done on on, on his on his jacket and his vest, it was like just once again it's a feast for the eyes when you're because because as we all know the costumes get a little bit more of that character, uh, like uh, building like like into the work like even Clara's mm-hmm. white nightgown that she wears says something about her and the and the ingenueness of her character that the, that she's in this beautiful white angelic outfit like that like that's definitely saying something about who who she is so the costumes definitely were a feast for the eyes in many ways for oh yes and you have to be strong going back to that cape he's right mm-hmm. it looks like it's made out of velvet and it's yes. double lined as well mm-hmm. so you have to be strong you have to be mm-hmm. fit to wear costumes like that you mm-hmm. know? There were times in my career where I auditioned for roles where I would have to wear full prosthetics and a full armor mm-hmm. of costume. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that the director asked me was, are you physically fit to wear this for a 12-hour day? And I went, mm-hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I, you know, If I were to get cast in this role, that means I would have to go to the gym, legit. Mm-hmm. You know, and and work up endurance and work up physicality. So mm-hmm. it's just another amen to the physicality of these, of these actors. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Anna, what did you think? What was your favorite production or design element? Uh, I was actually going to bring in Drosselmeyer's cape here, and then you all beat me to it. So that was <laughs> like <laughs> I was like on cue there. No, uh, really, I agree with that. With that. Uh, element as well. I think that um, contributed to so much of the weaving together and like cohesion of the narrative um, mm-hmm. as a production element um, that I think it uh, it was like a through line for me. Like it kept me in the world. Mm-hmm. It 
created this metaphoric space of reality versus fantasy. Like I really understood how the figure of Jocelyn Meyer and specifically his costume and the way he maneuvered it um, uh, contributed to the storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was lovely. And the, I, I'm just a big fan of velvet. Oh, was, I just love velvet. <laughs> it just makes me so happy. So, and like embroidered velvet, like, yeah, I'm there. So, uh, that was a highlight for me. Um, as far as other elements, um, I think actually one element I really enjoyed, uh, related to costume, of course, is hairstyles. I really, mm. uh, appreciated some of the work that went into the things that were on people's heads, uh, mm-hmm kind of imagining not having ever had to perform ballet, but imagining how uh, also sort of detail oriented it has to be to like stay in place and mm-hmm. be, be really technically like accurate uh, mm-hmm. so that nothing, uh, you know, no accidents happen or like no faux yes. pas or whatever. I appreciated like the hats in the opening sequence mm-hmm. on the like guests of the, um, <laughs> of the family's house. Yeah. Like that was comical. It included, it incorporated a little bit of humor into the, mm-hmm. into this, uh, scenario. And then I really appreciated, uh, this is actually kind of just my like, uh, former gymnast slash, you know, like, um, little kid coming out, but I, I love the, um, sugar plum fairy. And I think, I don't know what they, what they called it in this production, but the Prince Coqueluche, I guess is his name mm. in French, uh, like her prince, I guess. Yes. Uh, they're like, they had so much sparkle on their heads. Like I really actually thought that was really fun. Uh, really fantastical. Uh, yeah. The fantasy really shone through mm-hmm. um, for me through the hairstyles. Yeah. Agreed. Yes, definitely. Uh, wig making and, and and hair work is one of those kind of unsung elements of costume and design that people kind of forget when they watch a show is how much time and energy goes into making those headpieces. I mean, Haley, did you ever study wig making while, while, while you were at York? Because I, I I know they were I, I know you could if you wanted to, but the amount of time and energy that goes into actually like weaving the hair into that wig to style it. And then maintain it like that is such a investment of time and yeah. energy. I've never ever worked on a wig, but I do know a lot about wigs because mm-hmm. I'm model with wigs, mm-hmm. and um, I've also worked like I was a personal assistant for a Broadway actress for four years, so I've seen her put on a wig, and that was personally made for her, and mm-hmm. like it's serious ass business, like <laughs> like yeah, even the way you put it on and everything, it's like. It's so intricate. It's it's a whole session in itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're woven by hair. Hair yeah. by hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Respect wow. the craft. Respect the craft that goes into the to what goes oh. on your head. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. I respect all them drag queens too. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Emma, what would your shout out for, for production and design elements? Okay. Before I do the things that I love, I Wigs were a big thing for me. They were my low point. There were there was a lot of wigs going on. It was just it was the sameness of it and the choices and the often making them all blonde that was just very cringe, very <laughs> uncomfortable for me. So I didn't know how to handle watching that. And it was like very uncomfortable to watch. Um yeah. very sparkly, but like very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, yeah, good, good point. Good point. I yeah, <laughs> like it's very cringe. Legit. Um, like all blonde doing snow. And it's like, oh. Okay, do we need to? Do we need to go that far? Like you've already gone pretty far. Yeah, we should not be. 
adding <laughs> to the problems. Um, but then, uh, oh, I do have a, not a wig story, but just yes. in the dance perspective, like I was doing, it was a <laughs> contemporary piece, mo- mo- actually modern dance. And, um, and the choreographer does not like my hair. It's too thin. So in a bun, it was like this big, it was a little knob at the back of my head. And she was like, this one too. She's like, she was very old and had very strong opinions about the mm. way my bun had to look in this solo piece. And so she's like, come on to my house, chicky. And then she like took me to her basement and pulled out of a plastic bag, um, like a, a thing of her ponytail this long from her actual. Wow. Uh-huh. And she was like, okay. Put that, yeah, add that. <laughs> so I had no idea how to do this. And it matched my hair perfectly. It was so wild. As if someone else, like, who was really good at hair, pinned it in for dear life. So I had this, like, giant Danish <laughs> on the back of my head, belonging to, like, a dance legend. That was like, if I can't contract now, I will never find it. Like, if I can't do it with this legend's hair on my body... I'm never going to be able to call myself wow. a dancer. But the thing that was so outrageous was like, it was at the back of my head, but doing like movements where I go into like a contraction, like lift my head up that would feel mm-hmm. a certain way. And I've rehearsed it for so long. The smallest change in the weight in my head would kind of throw me backwards. And then I'd have to mm-hmm. contract wow. harder mm-hmm. to like not fall over, which was good for wow. my technique. But it just makes me think like anytime anyone's and like how much like rock solid, shit is in these sparkly wigs that are like mm-hmm. concrete so what must that be doing to their center of gravity like you'd have to rehearse in a wig no anyway huge respect <laughs> to the dancers for being able to dance that even the men who have to yeah. jump non-stop like that's way like you don't need that <laughs> in your life so i have a huge amount of respect for the dancers for dancing in those wigs like that's it mm-hmm. would throw you off and those women on those little toes like mm-hmm. that's something um my favorite production elements, I really liked whenever they would uh, bring the set to be like really highlight mm-hmm. how much space they have or would mm-hmm. really create intimacy. Like I really liked the beginning and the end and like it really made it so satisfying. I didn't understand what was happening at the beginning was the yeah. moving picture That's behind Drosselmeyer. Right. I was like, who is that? What is, is this video? <laughs> What's happening? I don't understand this story. And then at the end, it was so fast, so sweet. But because mm-hmm. they brought us back to that, like, intimate mm-hmm. little room after seeing this, like, really, I felt, like, cold, vast space mm-hmm. of Act 2. Like, I thought it just brought something really yeah. warm at the end there and how, like, mm-hmm. tiny and mm-hmm. and homely his little, I don't know, yeah. study workspace is. I, yeah. was, I don't know where we are, but... I guess works. I always thought of it as, like, a toy shop, kind of like Geppetto's workshop. Like that type yeah. of kind of Eastern European, yeah. like little old man in his shop, you know, like slaving away, carving the wood that makes the nutcracker. Yeah, I I loved that. And then I loved what was with you at the heights of when the snow starts to fall or when I think it was act two, which I did feel was quite cold and like it just yeah. stays kind of an act two, but. They really highlighted the top of the yes. the top of the theater. I think with some little details, mm-hmm. and I I really love that because you're like really kind of mm-hmm. blown away suddenly, or when it starts to snow, you're like it goes all the way up there, and everything just mm-hmm. becomes so much more yeah exciting. So yeah, I thought they played a well said, nice. well said. I'm gonna piggyback off you because mine ties into that where I love the set, the set design for this ballet was in, was incredible, like. 
the amount of detail that went into those beautiful set design was f- fantastic. And the fact that yeah, the fact that that set has to stand up to close up work. So it's one thing we're like, uh, for example, at Stratford, when I remember watching Importance of Being Earnest that they did, they revealed in a backstage tour that a lot of their set was made from plastic spoons, styrofoam cups, like repainted, reworked to create that beautiful Victorian era set. But from the audience, you would never know that that's what, like those are the elements that were used to create that set. Here, on the other hand, you're, you are gotta make it look, you, you can't get away with a painted plastic spoon. You gotta go in for that fine, refined detail because it's gotta hold up to that visual scrutiny. So the fact that the designer of the set uh, did such a great job of building that world and creating each world, making it so individual that like the house was so unique to the Sugar Plum Fairy Court. There was nothing where it was like, oh, you only just changed some lighting in a staircase. No, like the whole world was recreated every time they moved. Uh, and sometimes, like, like, um, as you, like, as you said, Emma, like, sometimes it was the big court set, or sometimes it was that beautiful, intimate toy shop set of Drosselmeyer's. Like, it, the the way the way the way you just move through the story with these sets and that beautiful scenic painting of the city that that you ever so briefly get a few scenes of, and that uh, that's at that's at the front of the stage. Was well, gorgeous. The amount of work that went into that painting, or Maybe screen printing, they did it at. I'm not sure what it would be. I'm sure back in the original ballet, that would have been a hand-painted scenic scenic, scenic scenic drop. But now I'm sure they, they can screen print that on, on, on some fabric. Either way, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. And the fact that this was a set that actually incorporated levels into the set as well. So you could go upstairs, you could go up into the back. Like, you guys had so much... You even had the... Um, the proscenium being used for like those angel things that show up throughout the piece. Like there's just so much of that going on. And the fact that the director was able to use so much of the space because the set was so open and allowed for that space to be used while still keeping the dance floor very open. So it wasn't like it was a cluttered set of, we got this, that, like we got, we got chairs, we got this and that, that are clogging up the space. The like a lot of the set was, it was U-shaped. Like it was a lot of periphery, set built but still that periphery was so well built up you understood the space that you were dancing in and the way the director used the entire space was fantastic so well done well done. yeah this is this is about like borrowing what has worked for mm-hmm. thousands of years with it, the baroque era style of theater where in the 19th century you know you had giant massive like Pulley systems in the back where people be man operating mm-hmm. these sets that come in and out, you know, into the scene and then shift on a different track yeah. and pull in another one. You know, that's all what is happening here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, what worked worked. We're yeah. still doing it. It's just yep. up a level. Like I think it's the the sugar plum um, courtyard. Court, yeah. Is that the one? That's the one that the silver one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, that looks like a 3D printed set. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how you could get the amount of detail in the background of that set. It doesn't look 
painted on. Mm-hmm. It actually looks like it has textured. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks 3D printed because mm-hmm. there's so much detail in it. Mm-hmm. Even in like the shapes around it, yeah. I would not be surprised if Broadway went to that level. You know, like we're at that mm-hmm. level now. Oh. I agree. I mean, I mean, Stratford loves to say that they I think they have two or three now 3D printers that they use to help build their sets. So now at that level that absolutely if you're like if the Royal Ballet can absolutely afford to invest in some 3D printers to help build their set. That is definitely something that can be used now. But yeah, the detail work that went into that is it, it just it just gives you so much appreciation for the, the craftsmanship that goes into building this ballet. It's not just the beautiful dance or the classic music, there's all these other beautiful elements that make this a, a, a feast for the eyes to watch. Now, with any production, there is always an element that we feel lacked or maybe didn't quite hit its mark, even with the best of intentions. Because no production is perfect. There's always ways you can refine your work. Uh, so, uh, Anna, you're going to kick us off for this. Well, what do you think was the weakest, uh, production element or, or performance or, 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 or what was the weakest part to you of this piece? Uh-huh. Okay. So actually there were several moments that kind of threw me off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll start with one, uh, to refer back to what Emma actually said. Uh, I totally like catch the drift of what you're saying about the wigs, like all being very homogenous. And it's interesting because I actually conceptualized that not as a wig thing or a costume thing, whereas maybe I should have, but more of a color thing, like a color palette thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, throughout the entire production, I just actually didn't really enjoy the color palette. Mm -hmm. I thought that, and that includes like the fact that some of the costume elements were all sort of the same. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, um, just uh, this is as a viewer, not as a, you know, professional in production elements. So please like uh, Haley, like bring it in. Like if you want to tell me like that I'm missing something, (laughs) but uh, I had to do with like, um, a costume and lighting, I think, interacting. Um, and I think some of the lighting I noticed was quite ye- like yellow, like mm-hmm. quite um, like warm yellows. Mm-hmm. And that reflected off of the set and the costumes, which were also kind of gold, silver, yellowish, beige. Um, and there were certain um, uh, sort of reasons why that threw me off. For example, because the like flower waltz and the dance of the... I think marzipan Mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. And then also the sugar plum fairy and the prince. They all have very similar color palettes in their costumes, uh, plus lighting, plus the set behind them. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it kind of created the sepia effect, almost Mm -hmm. like if maybe that's kind of exaggerating it, but it did create kind of this beige look. Um, And I just don't know that that's, um, I don't know that that really reflects the, like fairy tale fantasy aspect of the Nutcracker, mm-hmm. or if it were to get included, I think it might have been good to keep it that way intentionally throughout the entire production. Because mm-hmm. then we have like the very bright red jacket of the Nutcracker Prince. Mm-hmm. We have the blue ribbons in Clara's hair. Like we have these pops of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, I think those sepia moments uh, sort of fell flat for me, mm-hmm. and this included. Um, also, kind of the uh, the angels, actually, which I th- the costumes were so exquisitely elaborate, but at the same time, the color scheme sort of uh, yeah. I think fed into that mm-hmm. like sepia effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, lastly, I'll say that part of that um, aesthetic 
I sort of uh, interpreted um, as a little bit of like an Elizabethan vibe. I don't know if I just read into that, but to me, there seemed like the, some characters, especially in the chorus, like the group scenes, um, ha had this vibe of like British sort of 16th, 17th century theater. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's potentially like just, you know, the Royal Ballet kind of making it appropriate or accessible or I guess relatable to their mm -hmm demographic audience in London, England, maybe, I don't know. But uh, again, if we want to stay sort of um, uh, hmm, not faithful, but if we want to sort of create the full spectacle of the Nutcracker, mm -hmm. I think that more color contrast yeah. might have been valuable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll jump on mm -hmm. that, actually, because I totally agree with you. Um, like even just skipping through it, like what I want to do is like get frames from each, each of like the movie, like every second and put it all together and see what it looks like. Because even like the blues are, are kind of, they're not saturated. They're very dull, like where there was an opportunity to pop with colors. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't think that they, they went the full extra mile. And I think that there was a reason for that. They wanted they were trying to capture some some kind of distant past mm -hmm. you know of this thing i think they were they were trying to go for something with that because it's so obvious that they make those choices um i'm just trying to get into the designer's head as to why that was the direction they wanted to go to because even the reds are not true red they're not they're not like a velvety red or like a crimson red. They're like kind of more on the orangey side, which is kind of odd. But yeah, I, I agree. There is no nothing that really, really sticks out. And I think what makes good design is when you amplify the story with the design elements. Like your design is supposed to tell the story better, mm -hmm. right? And so when I feel like, like you said, the lore of the Nutcracker being completely lost in the color palette like it just kind of makes me more sad mm -hmm. to watch this what's supposed to be a wonderful spectacle mm -hmm. um yeah i just find that it is a little bit too tough. yeah i wish that they took a little bit more risks with colors so that maybe maybe at the beginning we were all sepia toned and then there was one scene that really hit mm -hmm. us then i would go okay like with the color we mm -hmm. get it like this is important mm -hmm. Right, but nothing really sticks out to me as super duper important, and it all looks yeah. the same. Yeah, I wish they'd been intentional with it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like really a clear separation, which in reality and fantasy, if that's how they wanted to go, or just stick to one way, like stick to either lots of color or kind of this minimalistic approach. Yeah, but not all of the above. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Emma, where are you standing? What What was your weakest production or design or performance element of this uh, ballet? I mean, I'm on board <laughs> that it was very cold mm -hmm. in the color palette. I completely mm -hmm. felt that too, especially act two. Um, if I can go yeah. beyond just like production design yeah. and talk about like the dance. Yeah. So for me, uh, it was actually the lack of musicality mm. within the choreography itself was really just like hitting mm -hmm. me the whole time so like the music is some of the most like yes i mean it's iconic we all know it we all mm -hmm. know where these like big moments are mm -hmm. every single note is kind of amazing and like the, how many people 
around the world have their mm-hmm. own nutcrackers that they had to dance still in their bodies. Like it's it's a nightmare. Let me tell you, having done it your whole life, you're still like like can't go to well when we used to go to shopping centers and things like that. <laughs> you hear it in stores. It's like it haunts you for life. Uh, <laughs> but I was really amazed at how. Mm-hmm. like what a miss that was i felt there were so many beautiful moments and then i thought is my i i really actually mm-hmm. asked is my audio off is it like not in sync with the video i don't understand what's happening and then we got to the sugar plum fairy doing just amazing mm-hmm. sequence on the diagonal spinning 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 big and i was like oh nope it's not off that's pretty musical it's just not choreographed in the way that I would hope it to be, where it would yeah. make more of the music. And I think it really missed it. Like it kind of floated mm-hmm. on top and mm-hmm. through the music and kind of relied on, I think, the costumes and the set to do yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. the bigness yeah. that their movement wasn't doing. And it yeah. wasn't the dancers. Well said, well said. I mean, we're going to get more into the choreography itself because we will be talking about Peter Wright's adaptation of the original ballet so we're going to dive more into this topic uh but i will say for me my weakest element was the unevenness of the camera work for this piece where oh i don't know what was going on with this where like sometimes you would linger on a wide shot for too long and it's like why are we staying on the shot like it's becoming stale and boring to watch and then sometimes you would cut to a close-up and miss some of the beautiful footwork and technique that was happening. And then other times, like the joy of doing a pro shot with a camera, uh, like uh, I, 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 you get with these opportunities is you're able to, as an audience, as a director of, of, of the film and, and as a viewer, you're able to direct where you want the viewer to follow the story. Because when you're watching the theater, the audience is choosing the story they're following because they can watch wherever they want. If you want to follow your best friend who's playing rat number five and they're tracked throughout the show you can when you're watching a film uh that's very clearly shot in a certain way so you're following a certain group uh or certain or a certain story that's your opportunity to really hone in on that and i felt the camera didn't allow that to happen there were so many times where like in that opening party sequence i was like why do we keep cutting away from clara like this is her story and yet so many times we're losing Francesca Hayward and then we're cutting to some other random shots like the balding old butler and it's like love the character but this isn't his story like your camera should be telling the story and I'm sure Haley from working on a film set and doing film production now and having that experience like the camera is very much directing you where like where the story is going a shot tells you a lot about what you're supposed to be reacting to and this camera work was just so uneven and left me perplexed a lot of the time where I was like, what is going on <laughs> here? Like, like beautiful to watch when I want, when I get a good shot, because there are some gorgeous shots in this. But like uh, that moment right. where you catch Claris crying or, or or that moment where you're seeing catching her reaction to finding the necklace still around her neck or those little other character moments you get. The camera can catch that and it's great, but then it's, it drops the ball in some of the bigger things like making sure the story is understood and making sure the right focus is being had. Like it was just, it was just uneven. And I just go, that made it, that made it a really tough watch sometimes where I was like, okay, 
We've stayed in the same shot for the Arabian dance for quite a while now. I'm starting to get really sick of this dance. Let's move on. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Let's move forward. Yeah. Let's move forward. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm very curious about mm-hmm. that because filming staged performances is like an art in itself. Absolutely. That is a totally different thing than than what a shot list could yes. look like for like a feature mm-hmm. film, right? Or even like a music yeah. video. Like they're all very, very different artistic mm-hmm. things. So filming for, for a live performance is very difficult because you have so much to cover mm-hmm. and so you have so many options. Mm-hmm. So my only explanation that I could possibly gather for something like that was that they just they wanted to be able to tell the full story and I think they tried to and they I don't think the editor was, was experienced enough, maybe yeah. maybe or or maybe it was just that they wanted to get other people's on stage mm-hmm. like other characters reactions to what yeah. was happening and they thought that maybe that would be to tell the story mm-hmm. better than just focusing on Clara mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Um that's my only you know, the only thing I can really think about for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I I mean I could t- I totally get that entirely. And I mean I I ha- I, I don't wanna say that I, I've been spoiled now having watched so many eighties pro shots like stratford's pro shots that they do can are sometimes absolutely stunning same thing with some of these other pro shots where like we've had some really terrific uh pro shot moments where it's like oh wow like this is really a solid uh a a bit of film work and this one just didn't quite hit the mark so beautiful production just sometimes the camera didn't quite get it all the way i would have liked it to so yeah I'm wondering if there's also like contractual reasons behind that. Potentially, like there, I feel like it's also yeah, it's like a technical <laughs> thing that like some kind of like exposure <laughs> clause that they have to yeah. fulfill. Like it's because it is odd. <coughs> there could be, you know, like yeah, that's the mm. only other thing I can really think of for it being kind of more inclusive. Yeah. Than it just focusing on the leads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. Never thought of it like that, but that is an interesting idea to pitch. Interesting. Yeah, like in the film mm-hmm. world, like your close up and like the kind of shots that you mm-hmm. get, the kind of coverage you get is very, very specific. Hmm. Like, you know, if if you're, you know, for example, if she's mm-hmm. They had two cameramen and they had like a seven person mm-hmm. cast to do coverage on. So it's like, you know, you have a cam- one cameraman doing a like a torso, torso yeah. to the head. And then you have the second cameraman doing the close up. Mm-hmm. So all the leads get that coverage. Mm-hmm. But a character like me, who is a guest star, who just had one or two lines to say, I didn't get that kind of coverage, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, depending on the kind of billing that you have, um, and also the amount of like the importance that you have to the mm-hmm. story, you get different kinds of camera yeah. coverage mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a totally weird, weird part. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> you know. And I've had I, I, I've heard actors be like, "Oh, well, I'm not getting my my close up. Like, why?" Mm-hmm. You know, and the director just goes, "Well, we don't need it." And they're like, "Well, but I, but uh, mm-hmm. you know," and they're like, "Well, we're not going to put it in the edit anyways." Yeah. You know, so it's like. It's really all about the director, what the editor yeah. want to do at the end of the 
mm-hmm. of the day, whether you get the coverage yeah. or not. So I imagine that this had something to do with that. You know, you're probably right, Haley. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why don't we get into our big question of part one here, which is, do we think this production hit its mark? And is it worth the watch? Uh, Emma, I see you kind of like leaning forward there with that, with, the, with that wonderful grin on your face. So what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> it's so hard to answer that. I'm fascinated by uh, what you were saying about maybe the ways of filming it. My my mind was like, oh, so this editor knows <laughs> nothing about movement or dance. Because like there's a cannon going like one yeah two three and he stays on this guy and you're like <laughs> right <laughs> common sense you go that way or go to the wide anyway so that that was my first impression but was it worth the watch i mean it's a hard one i also grew up watching like every single day i watched the vhs tape mm. kelsey kirkland and barishnikov doing the nutcracker i watched it like every day for a solid two years like, around my vhs played it again i was four but like I did watch that for a solid two years of my life. Mm-hmm. That was a magical production. Like my little tiny production, actually, it's quite—it was quite big actually in the Maritimes. But like growing up, mm-hmm. colorful, big spectacle. I mean, you walk around town and people are mm-hmm. so sad that it's not on this year. Like mm-hmm. locals, like it's such a thing. It can be so spectacular and so mm-hmm. big and vibrant for kids. So I, on the one hand, I'm like maybe this is a version where you could just like plop a kid down and like mm-hmm. get them to spend two hours is it a production i would watch no because the choreography drove me nuts but um mm-hmm. there's some amazing dancing and then is it a production i would watch now no it's hugely <laughs> problematic so mm-hmm. no i would yeah. not watch it Cancel. fair I, yeah great dancing, great dancing for sure definitely definitely uh anna what were your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, that's a tricky one for me too. Um, I think that like this year is actually quite remarkable in that this Nutcracker sort of filled that, you know, void for me. <laughs> uh, not that I go see it every year anymore either, but, um, but I think like for what it's worth, like it really uh, reminded me how much I miss watching live ballet and live theater and live opera and live performances of all kinds. So I think just that like sort of overarching general sense of like atmosphere uh, came through for me in the video. And honestly, it came through like a lot of it was uh, the before the performance and after the performance, just seeing the theater space, Mm -hmm. like seeing the audience and the orchestra. I was like, oh, (laughs) so yeah, I felt something. So maybe that's not actually about the Nutcrackers, but, but the video sort of helped like tied me over, I think, uh, this year, um, and get me a little bit into that holiday spirit, a little bit. Um, uh, I think that like if I had kids, I might sit them down to do that to watch this production. Sure, um, I would explain certain things about it to them prior. Uh, so I think like you know, as a family thing, sure, it's yeah, okay, cool. Um, but uh, oh man, I don't want to sound mean, but <laughs> uh, like I've seen, I've seen more like spectacular versions. I've seen more thought out versions. There's one I saw in actually Miami, Florida one time that was like one really memorable. And like, I still think about that one. It was like 2009. So um, this one didn't exactly um, end up on the list of 
top nutcrackers that I have seen or know about. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd watch it again per se. Mm-hmm. Well said. And I, I'm loving these honest opinions. I think this is the first time we're kind of getting the vibe, but maybe this won't be one that gets the, 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 the big thumbs up of, uh, of rewatching. Haley, where do you stand? Uh, well, as somebody who doesn't watch a lot of dance, um, I've, and I'm also, admittedly, it's, it's hard for me to follow story. That's mm-hmm. always been a, a weakness of mine. Um, so if a story isn't well told from the very beginning and I'm not engaged enough, it's very, very hard for me to pay mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I lose elements of story very, very easily. Mm-hmm. Just a flaw of mine. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like I found this hard to watch because I just couldn't, like as someone seeing it really for the first time, I couldn't understand what was going on at all without a program in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I would need to be referring to the synopsis, like, 500 times. Agreed. (laughs) You know? Because it's hard. It's hard putting all the characters Mm -hmm. together. Like, someone like Emma, who knows this show, like, the back of her hand, she could do it in her sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, would under, would, she's able to, to make comparisons between, oh, this character being performed differently in this year, blah, 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 and making your own relationship to it i don't have that so it's it's i find it i'm kind of lost mm-hmm. most of the time <laughs> can i can i chime in because like i was lost really also i yeah so just like little background of my my production we had no men so they had to ship in a prince so we had one male character and like all women because it was like the 90s <laughs> the rare times i won't get into it but it was like there were no right. men too it felt like right it was a different time um so anyway that was my childhood experience we had to like completely change the story to account for that so then i'm watching this version i'm like who's that who what you're so many men who are all these characters what happened to her really charming age i was about to say where's he gone like he was i was so i was sad about that like because i thought that was really sweet i was like who's this lovely gentleman (laughs) who never shows up again and then there's then she has a nutcracker and then there's a prince and then like for the sugar plum and then but she's not the rose fairy so who are these people where'd they come from what's the story i thought i thought there were too many characters they weren't you yeah that makes it hard to make the the story feel like it emotionally impacts Mm -hmm. you right like when you can't even figure out who's who and there's so many characters and they don't have a backstory Mm -hmm. yeah and then Clara goes away for a while and yeah. she's at like the heart of it. And then she's gone for like yeah. the majority of act two. And we're watching just really nice, like good ballet dancing from the Sugar Plum Fairy. And then you're like, oh yeah, Clara, okay, she has a necklace. It's good. And then it's like two <laughs> seconds with the necklace totally. at the end. So like tell the story in 10 seconds because we really got carried away with yeah. the dancing. We got carried away with that around the world sequence. That. Oh Yeah. That goes for a while. Yeah. No, Can I just like, chime in super quick yes. and just say that I think so there are like various interpretations um, of like Nutcracker, like psychoanalyzing the characters and such. I won't go into that uh, at all. Uh, we don't want that uh, at this point. But um, there's these theories or th- like 
people say, I guess, like people write about how Clara is actually supposed to become the sugar plum fairy. Like that's mm. her. But I just want to sort of also um, concur that I don't think that's made ex- extremely clear in this production. And I think that's why it's so easy to get lost if you're an adult and especially if you're a kid watching it as well. Like you'll get your attention span will just like be finished, right? Um, because of casting, I think, um, there are certain productions where um, Clara in the first act is a little girl and then in the second act we have the same ballerina performing a more grown-up version of Clara in her little white angelic dress and then changing into the sugar plum fairy for that solo um, and the pas de deux, like the duet um, so that you know it's the same person like she's imagining herself transforming anyways just thought I'd throw that out there because that's also not something that was included in this production that makes more sense. I mean, you just describing that plot point. I'm like, that actually made the story a lot stronger than what it was. Uh, I mean, for me, I go on the yes kind of rewatch train where I'm like, production design wise, gorgeous. If you want to watch it for just production design, go for it. By all means. Great sets, great costumes. Uh, the dancing, as we said was beautiful, even if they were given the best choreography to work with. Now, that being said, uh, having also come from limited ballet experience, having done a few classes growing up and then going to see a few in my lifetime, um, watching a ballet at home is really kind of like being in a Zoom meeting where you really got to strain your focus, where you can very easily become distracted with any other piece of technology or something else going on because you're like oh well they're not talking so i can just kind of let my eye wander somewhere else and the minute your eye wanders you're like oh crap i just missed <laughs> something really something that could be vitally important to storytelling but i wouldn't know because it wasn't spoken it was physically told so you have to really focus your your attention and with the way the story was told where once again like the arabian dancing is going on for such a long time where it's like you get bored and then you get distracted and it's like tough. Like I would say watching this ballet in a theater probably is a much better experience than watching it on film. So I would definitely say the Nutcracker Ballet is worth watching. Uh, this particular production, if you can't get your hand on any other version or, or if your community is not doing a production, I mean, Broadway HD for the price you pay each month, seven bucks. Uh, per month for Broadway HD, you get a lot of great material like this. You can put this on one day. It's only an hour, it's under two hours in length. So it's not like it's a three hour extravaganza where you got to sit and lumber through. Like it's a very doable time. So, I mean, overall, would I go back and watch this again? No, but mind you, my favorite Tchaikovsky ballet has always been Sleeping Beauty. So this already was kind of a bit of a deficit of the game where it's like, do I go back and watch the Nutcracker a lot? particularly but is this a production that was so awful i'll never watch it again not fully there's enough there that maybe i would consider going back if i had to i would much rather go watch a live production uh versus a recorded overall but yes there we go yes it's a very mixed bag of a production that i that i think this is the first time we're really kind of all not fully sold on it i'm actually really happy about this this is kind of the first time where you've gone to do this after so many episodes <laughs> so yay us okay so now we're going to segue from talking about the production to now talking about the ballet itself and the piece as a whole. 
so the first question we have is, this production features the combined choreography of Peter Wright and the traditional staging by Lev Ivanov. I think that's proper Russian the way you say his name. Uh, but uh, so did Wright's adaptation of Ivanov's original choreography create clear and concise storytelling or did the, or did the two poetic styles and techniques not properly mix? Uh, Anna, I'll let you, I'll let you start this one because you are familiar with the story having been born in the UK and growing up in this, in, in, I'm sure where this story was told to you, were you, was this a piece that kind of worked for you on, on the mixing of, of, of the two technique fronts or is this kind of like, I relied on my own knowledge to get myself through. Right. Um, actually, so I think overall, um, like I followed, but I think mm-hmm. it takes a really particular kind of knowledge of a vocabulary to um, to follow. And so I only was able to do so because of like having actually learned about this kind of vocabulary in academic settings. So had I not had that or had was were I a child, I guess, or, you know, a younger person, I don't know if that would have been the case. And I mean, the Nutcracker isn't necessarily for just someone like me, I guess, right? It's for, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be for families. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be for many people. Um, supposed to be. <laughs> uh, is it? That's a debate for sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I think um, the choreographies, I think the way that they were integrated together, the like 1892 version, and mm-hmm. the, I think it was like 1916 or something. Um, yeah. Around then, um, choreography. Uh, I don't think there was anything like outstanding or, or like uh, sort of extraordinarily mm-hmm. like risky or radical. Like I just think that it was quite um, straightforward. Like mm-hmm. there were these uh, moments of like physical language, for example, when the Nutcracker like describes what had happened to him and Clara, where mm-hmm. he you know falls on the ground. He's kind of acting out or pantomiming his war with the King of Mice. Like mm-hmm. all of that is just cut, like sort of conventional balletic mm-hmm. uh, language, I guess. So uh, it didn't stand out to me, and also it wasn't like it wasn't avant garde or experimental either. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. There's, I guess I just don't have that much to say about it. I think it just, it, it was safe. Like, it stuck mm-hmm. to what um, I've seen other Nutcrackers do, uh, quite traditional. I should mention, though, now that you, now that I'm really thinking about it, <laughs> uh, my mm-hmm. thoughts are kind of uh, rolling, that, um, so coffee, tea, and chocolate, right? Mm-hmm. Got to talk about those, because yes. those just, like, are... Oh, it's just a whole hot mess, right? In like historical context. And so um, I think that there was an attempt made, I'll say that, an attempt was made to um, sort of um, update a little bit of the choreography because in the sort of older, uh, and I think uh, from 1892, we don't have much left. Like there's not Mm -hmm. much extant um, choreographic notes. But I think from the early 20th century version, there's a little bit more. and then it like picked up other choreographies along the way, mm-hmm. along the 20th century. Um, the, uh, for example, the tea performance was mm-hmm. like, like riddled with like racist gesticulations, right? It was like, there was this, um, I think you call it like a sort of, uh, what was it? Like chopstick sort of dance, I think it yes. was called. Uh, this included also the costume with the hair styles mm-hmm. and also the outfits and the casting. So mm-hmm. layer upon layer. Um, and in this, uh, in this production, I mean, the casting was 
diverse. I'll mm-hmm. say that. And some of the uh, gestures were actually removed. Mm-hmm. So I'll just like maybe say the one thing, like w- one thing on that is that I did appreciate that some of it was removed. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it was all still there. Sort of the uh, the music was there, right? Uh, that's really hard to do away with. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think even though they changed the choreography up a bit, uh, the general sentiment of stereotyping is still present. Uh, however, like in conclusion, an attempt was made. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can please like uh, um, let me know what you thought about that part as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Emma, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, all, on this topic? Because you kind of alluded to it a little bit. I mean, act two. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's all like, you can see when you're watching Act 2. It's just like, we can't. This has to stop. We can't be doing this. We can't be watching this. We can't be showing it to other people. Mm-hmm. It's outrageous. 2017. I mean, this stuff. was 2017? Yeah. That they made this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been in a conversation for at least that long. Like, people have been calling on Act 2 yeah. and the Nutcracker. Like, what are you going to do about it? And it's not just costuming in those, like, and I mean, I guess some people say coffee, tea, call it that, but their credits at the end still say Spanish, Chinese. Yeah. Like, they still call it, like, where they are in the world. Like, they're not even trying to change anything um, mm-hmm. in ways that are really easy and have been done. Like, that can also be changed. So just, ooh, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of Nutcrackers, but then, yeah. you know, I've, I've heard the conversations that they see, and they're like, yeah, not great. But then also when we're not even doing the around the world and we're just showing like the courtiers <laughs> all have to wear blonde wigs and like snow all have to wear blonde wigs and now we're having conversations like yeah we can't have people in white tights and mm-hmm. shoes that don't match their body tones like just for your uniformity like the whole point of snowflakes <laughs> is they're all different yeah. and you're making them all the same like it's just mm-hmm. I feel like we're so past that and so it's very the costume like can Clara mm-hmm. have tights that work for mm-hmm. her body? Yeah. Like, she's Clara. Like, why is she in, like, bright mm-hmm. white tights? Get a grip. So, I that was yeah. hard. <laughs> Sorry, we're talking about choreography. I got back on costuming because it was rough. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. it does tie in. Like, it's all of Act 2. It absolutely ties in. Um, but just getting back to, and it's, like, I could talk about that yes, for a lot longer. Yes, absolutely. It's important to talk about that. But if I could go back too like i was thinking about storytelling i just mm-hmm. it, there was a little bit of a miss it, and balletic storytelling is so simple mm-hmm. it's like you're miming it's not hard like gesture over there gesture over there make the appropriate face like great mm-hmm. it's it's just so surface level but then there were things like in the in the mm-hmm. fight between the nutcracker and the mouse king i had a hard time like <laughs> Just simple storytelling. He's running after the or the Nutcracker, and like the Mouse King put it past his sword to Clara, and I think she was supposed to be like taking it from him, but like it fully like to not like hit her or like, and he was running in a circle as he did it, and they did not do it successfully. It just looked like he handed her his sword and then like went to die, but like it's not supposed yeah. to look like he's handing Clara his weapon. It's supposed to look like she's taking it. And so just like big misses like that where you're like, okay, so if they can't do it while running, don't make them run because mm-hmm. now the storytelling doesn't work. 
was like, what is that? So there were things like that that were just such easy. My rehearsal director self was dying a little <laughs> bit of moments like that. Did no one change that? Did no one give them that note? Yeah. Storytelling. Little little suffering. Wow, but, um, but I did really love when we got to, despite storytelling being nowhere, I did really enjoy when we got to mm-hmm. um, the Sugar Plum Fairy and that whole Padre at the end. And I just, I just want to do a little shout out because I mm-hmm. don't think I gave enough credit to her dancing. Like when she, they did their Padre that she has her solo. After they finished, mm-hmm. she had just done all those PKs and yeah. those turns on the diagonal and their sweaty diagonal, which just unbelievable. I think when they were bowing after that. I think that was the only <laughs> real smile I saw the whole time. Like, it was so genuine. When she finished, she looked so relieved and so happy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well earned. You earned that diagonal. You didn't fall over. <laughs> I would also be smiling. So I thought that was a little tiny shout out to that. The choreography in, in her, like, technical dancing was amazing. Love it. Yes. No, keep going. Yeah. One more thing. I'm so sorry. Can I add one more? Oh my gosh, because it was in that part of it, like it got really exciting and I got yeah. so happy for her because it started very timid in the two of them in the part of it. What was bothering me in this place, back to the musicality, that's what I'm, like, it's one of the most mm-hmm. incredible pieces of music, that part of it. It's so moving and it moves and all you want to do is see movement. Like we've built up to this the whole time, movement, sweeping it. Every time you go, and like a little static jump on the spot. And then we do it again. And you just want them to move together and like go somewhere. It's the height of this like maybe romance, maybe something, maybe some emotion can be sweeping you away. And it would go. And it was so static. And I felt that. Love that. I felt really antsy as well watching that. I just got so antsy. Yes. I learned a lot. I learned a lot listening to you about that. It's all very interesting. Haley, what are your Housing. thoughts on this subject? Well, this is uh, very far removed from my from my area of knowledge, so I, I don't really have much to contribute, unfortunately. But that's kind of more what I was saying, is that I'm more interested in what a 2020 version of The Nutcracker would look like and how they mm-hmm. would cast it. You know, it's like there is a lot, a long way we've come since mm-hmm. 2017. And I think that a lot of the issues that Emma addressed are super mm-hmm. important. And we would be very conscious mm-hmm. of those things um, now. Can I just say, I hope that because everyone's having to stop, I and like everyone's putting their stuff online, even though calls were for, we should not yeah. be doing this ever, ever, I ever, agree. ever again. Mm-hmm. We're causing harm. Mm-hmm. Knock it off. So I wish that all of these places weren't putting their stuff online this year, but they are. And all I can say is I really, really, really hope that every ballet company from like the smallest scale to the biggest companies like we saw here are re-choreographing the Nutcracker this year and are redoing the sets, are redoing those mm-hmm. wigs and come back in 2021 with an appropriate Nutcracker. I don't yeah. know how to solve yeah. it. They just know they can't keep doing that. So, like, I really hope companies right now are using this, like, gift of a coincidence of time mm-hmm. yeah. to change this staple. Yeah, I sounds. agree with that entirely. That's a super... Agreed. Point. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I mean, for me, uh, I once again, I don't know all the history with 
uh, Ivanov's original choreography or, or, or the way Peter Wright adapted this entire, like, I couldn't tell you where one ended and where one started. Uh, but what I can say is that I did find the storytelling itself sloppy, uh, where I know some of the basic plot, like I know about Clara gets the nutcracker at the Christmas party from her sometimes uncle, sometimes not uncle pirate, uncle Drosselmeyer. Um, then, th- th- then she goes to sleep. She wakes up the rat king, sh- rat mouse king, whatever rodent king shows up. They have a fight. He kind of gets killed off and then they go off to the sugar plum fairy court. Some dancing happens. She gets a necklace, wakes up. Oh, goes the necklace is still there. Was a dream, wasn't a dream. Basic plot. Now, could I tell you everything else that was going on? Not a clue. Not a freaking clue. Like, there are so many things where I was like, oh, young love interest. Does he then become the nutcracker? Like, is that her dream? That like, no idea. The whole portrait thing at the beginning where it's animated portrait. Then somehow the nutcracker is a son at the end to Uncle Drosselmeyer. I was like, what storytelling is going on here? Like, just like Haley, like, I would be looking at my program being like, give me the plot here. Like, because that's the thing where it's, where it's like if you can't follow the plot you're now inve- trying you're now fo- forced to now focus and invest in on on the choreography and the dance and if they don't execute that properly like they like they clearly didn't then what are you watching and that's an issue so for me i go i don't think this was well perfectly executed in the sense of mixing this like mixing the elements and telling a cohesive story i think there were some great moments where it's like you have some very iconic uh, uh, dances, like Emma's pointed out, like I, like the one that always, the one that I always remember is the Russian dance sequence, the bump, like that's something I've always remembered. Like that's a piece of music and that's a dance that like I watch people do. It's very iconic, like just the way they do the the, the leg kicks and the arm kicks, like that is all very classic, and that's something that's always stuck with me. Those those few key moments where like a piece of music or a piece of dance will come up and I go, ah, okay. That's something that, 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 that memory wise, I've seen that enough times or heard that enough times where I know kind of what's going on here. But overall, could I tell you all the ins and outs of the story? No. I mean, and uh, the fact that there are some productions, like you said, that Clara is supposed to become the sugar plum fairy makes a heck of a lot more plot sense. And I'm like, well, why didn't we do that? Like that would have made a heck of a lot more sense. Like, why they skipped yep. that element, no idea. Um, but they did. Uh, so yeah, overall, I just think this wasn't the most cohesive, well put together combination and plot of this ballet, and I think that ultimately kind of hindered the experience with this particular piece. Um, okay, next up we have Tchaikovsky's music, uh, which is like easily one of the most iconic pieces of dance ballet score in history like and the fact that it it is now transcended the ballet is now being used in so many other films holiday themed commercials like what is it about Tchaikovsky's score that has made it so popular beyond its original context Anna I'll I'll, I'll, I'll let you start this one because you may have some historical experience having kind of studied that element of this so what is it about the score that you think has made it so transcendent? Mm. Why, thank you. Thanks for like uh, giving me the the, the table here because mm-hmm. um, I'm actually not skilled uh, in music, okay. so I know the music only as like a viewer mm-hmm. 
sort of a person who's mm-hmm. following the story mm-hmm. along. And I really wish I did know more of the music, but I did read a little bit about it. Um, so I don't think I have like a, like a conclusive answer to this mm-hmm. question. Unfortunately, I think a musicologist would mm-hmm. and I'd love to know their answers. But, um, but my sort of hunch, I guess, is the best way I could put it, mm-hmm. is, um, um, is that it's also different. Like, I know this sounds a little mm-hmm. bit crude, but I just think there's so much variety in the um, instruments, sort of the tones used. Okay, quick anecdote, for example, about this, um, the pas de deux we were just discussing with the Sugar Plum Fairy and the Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess uh, I read that Tchaikovsky wrote it because his sister had passed away and it was really like emotionally loaded for mm. him. So he wrote it like under the weight of that personal experience. So that's kind of this like historical moment where I think he really felt that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I think related to that, uh, what I read was that he was challenged by like a colleague to write a song using just like one octave. Hmm. Once again, this is me just saying words because I'm not skilled in music, but um, but I guess that's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. And so I think, so he took on that challenge uh, and wrote this pas de deux for the Nutcracker. And I think this is one of the most iconic uh, musical mm-hmm. pieces of the entire suite. Um uh, so I think uh, he just sort of like took risks. He used a bunch of instruments I've heard as well that um, that uh, weren't customary at the time, I guess, in Russia. So some like uh, a Romanian, some mm-hmm. like French, like old instruments. I think the Celesta was mm-hmm. one that I've read about. If you yeah. know, okay, yeah. Uh, so I think just that like kind of risk taking sort of rebels thing mm-hmm. that he did was uh, maybe unusual for the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not like glorifying Tchaikovsky now and I shouldn't because he was also a very problematic man. <laughs> but um, uh, yes, uh, like not a great person, apparently. But um, but uh, I think, yeah, he just like took, took risks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's clear within the sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's variety in the sound. If there's no variety in the like costume or the set or whatever, the choreography or whatever that's redone. I think if Tchaikovsky's music is kept within this production, then like the variety is there. Like at least there's that, you know, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. So I think that's part of it. Um, yeah, I think that's it. That's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. Emma, what are your thoughts? Why has this score been so transcendent and gone beyond the ballet and you, and has been, used so often in other in, in, in other materials yeah the why it's used so often i'm not sure i have no no understanding <laughs> of anything to do with the music so I'll also that disclaimer like the worst um and for me my understanding or my mm-hmm. my like relationship with this is so biased so for me mm-hmm. like the score still lives in my body like it it's not gonna leave any note like it's still so present in my body because of how many times I've had to do the Nutcracker in like every single role. But I think for a lot of people who've either Mm -hmm. done the Nutcracker or who go watch it, like you go back because Mm -hmm. it like it's tradition. So the the Mm -hmm. warm feelings that you get from having a holiday tradition, Mm -hmm. like the good things you actually like about the holiday for a lot of people, it's going to see that Mm -hmm. with their family, the cozy theater, like there are all these things that speak holiday mm-hmm. they speak vacation they speak time off they speak family they speak like holidays and so i think mm-hmm. that lives in people's body and the, the way you see 
like in the way that it lives in my body, I think it probably lives in a lot of people's body who have made it tradition because so many people it's a yearly tradition, and so it just becomes like really, uh, really personal. I think to a lot of people, <laughs> how it's gotten so big, I don't know. Fair, maybe that's fair, Haley. A <laughs> question for Haley. So yeah, I I mean I I'm not like a professional musician in any stretch of the imagination, but I do I have worked a lot with musicians in my time as a theater creator. I like made a marching band theater company. That was my thing. <laughs> so I, I spent a lot. Yeah, thank that you. Was awesome. I spent a lot of time working with musicians and like understanding music and how it was written for shows and. You know, I, I I just kind of just did a little bit of research on what happened and how this became so iconic. And honestly, it just kind of seemed like a <laughs> fair. Yeah. Like the, the reason why it was so popular at the time was because finally something was being made that mm-hmm. wasn't religious. It was actually about candy. It was about toys. It was about this little girl. It was about... Mm-hmm. Kind of what Emma said, like the holiday spirit, and people were so excited to see something different at the time that I think that's why it gained popularity. But the score itself, it wasn't actually intended mm-hmm. to be a ballet, and the manuscript for the music was lost mm-hmm. for 50 years, and it was refound by complete chance by a conductor mm-hmm. who decided to put it on. And now that manuscript is in the museum. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that, you know, it's kind of for the, what happens when something is lost Mm -hmm. and then found and the novelty Mm -hmm. of that, which sticks. Not to say that the music itself isn't daring or ambitious in some way for what it was at the time. Like Anna was saying, the Celeste was an instrument that was invented Mm -hmm. at the right time. It was the sound that, um, that the composer was trying to get at the time that wasn't yes. invented yet. You know, he just kept racking, racking his brain. How do I get this sound? How do I get this sound? And it's coincidentally, the right instrument mm-hmm. was invented. So it's like these things happen by a series of coincidences yeah. that aren't planned. You know, that's how genius is made. You don't plan to make, you know, like Tchaikovsky wasn't sitting there being like, I'm going to make a hit manuscript for a score that's gonna Mm -hmm. last forever like no (laughs) you know like we think the same way about hits like you know the sound of music like no one knew they were making a show that would (laughs) that's true so i think that's that's part of it Mm -hmm. it's part of the 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 big bang theory And on top of that, I'm pretty sure Tchaikovsky hated the score. He said it wasn't good. He didn't like what he made. So that's pretty hilarious. (laughs) Very. He thought it sucked. He's his own worst critic, of course. Yeah. Like all of us. That's right. It's haunting him. (laughs) Of course, he's going to think it's bad. It's his. I mean, for me, (laughs) why I think this has kind of transcended the original context is. Mainly, what once again, the orchestration, it has that now synonymous holiday sound with the klezmers and the bells and the strings. Like, it has that very, the minute you hear it, you think Christmas holiday. And that's kind of been a thing that, that, that we've kind of created for ourselves by popularizing the score that we've kind of fed into this ever kind of going circle of, we hear it, ergo, it becomes holiday and we feed that down generations. So it's become this never-ending cycle of feeding into the 
the legend and the myth and the music. Uh, the other thing that kind of goes with it is uh, the, a lot of the melodic lines are very short. Like, uh, like they're very they're very much 30 second, one minute melodic lines that you can easily pluck out of the entire ballet score and splice that into a, a, a Coca-Cola commercial. And it totally works. Um, and and I think and I think because of that universality of that music where you can easily pluck it out, it fits the time of year. And then and you can easily kind of malleable like like a remake it into like in, into another feature is really kind of what makes that bit of music transcendent is that you can easily pull that. It's kind of like when with like the Ode to Joy, another very famous uh, piece of music by Beethoven, where that music is now being used so many other places. Like like you had the the you got you, got, you had the um, milk commercial back in the nineties that used that music. Drink milk, love life fresh and cold. Make more of your energy. Drink milk, love life. Do all you do. Living with vitality. Drink milk, love life. Drink milk, love life. Drink milk, love life. Drink milk, like that. Like that. <laughs> like that was another very iconic melody that you can easily pull out of that bigger piece of music, splice it in somewhere else, like a milk commercial, and it totally works. And you hear it, and 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 it becomes part of the like the human vocabulary of of a moment. And also just the fact that there's no copyright. To it, it's 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 a piece of music you don't have to pay copyright for. So when you're looking <laughs> for something for for to to fill that holiday music fill, you need to play something. It's like oh well, we don't have to pay him, so we'll use that. I mean, to be honest, we used a, an adaptation of, of the Sugar Plum Fairy music for our opening of our Santa Claus scene we just released last week. Like that, like that, that was a piece of music we used, and so it's one of those things of like it fits. It can easily be extracted. You can you can easily splice a small snippet of a bigger score out of it. So I think that's kind of where that uh, comes from on that front. I mean, the score itself, even if Tchaikovsky doesn't like it, it's, it's become just as iconic as, uh, as a uh, sleeping beauty, like, like the amount of ways now because of Disney that we now can hum the sleeping beauty score. Thanks. <laughs> like, like the, it's one of these things of Tchaikovsky's music, just being this transcendent piece of work that is very easy to pick up and go, ah, got it. Okay. I know. Uh, I know this music. Like, 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 say, like, you may not like it, but he's written some very iconic, melodic phrases that have have lasted the test of time, and I think they'll, and I think they'll continue to, because no matter what we do, we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to the next question. That this is a holiday classic, and people will just continue to grow up with this piece of music. So we're, we're yeah. Also, it's interesting that you reference yes the drink milk ad because that's actually just clever mm-hmm. marketing strategies like most of this stuff is injected into products mm-hmm. that we consume yeah. you know so what where would we be if we weren't injecting art mm-hmm. from the past into products mm-hmm. that we consume and that we see on tv would it really mm-hmm. have been that popular yeah probably not we probably would have lost it 
it would have been lost for the, another 50 years like it was in the beginning yeah. before they had TVs, before they had advertising, before they had people mm-hmm. who study marketing and studying trends mm-hmm. and studying like how, yeah. how to get people's attention mm-hmm. and do something brand new. It's a Absolutely. whole art in itself. I mean, think about it. Like, there's not many pieces by Bach that get used in a commercial. Like, Vivaldi's Four Seasons score gets used a lot of times on weather channels because it fits that theme. <laughs> but, like, yeah, exactly. Long form. <laughs> like, but, but, like it's, it's very selective about what pieces of music have, particularly classical music, has survived the test of time. And that's mainly because some marketing associates liked that piece of music and found a way to bring it back. And mm-hmm. us as humans, we, we picked up on, on that subconscious theme that goes through and it kind of sticks with us. So yeah, it is interesting to think of if, 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 if the, if the commercials and the films hadn't picked up on the score and continued to use it after its rediscovery, would it still be done today? That is, that is a else world alternative timeline question. That exactly Hello, universe stuff. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get into the final question of the night, which is, do we think, uh, I'm sorry. Why do we think the Nutcracker has uh, become such an iconic classical piece of ballet and theater? Is there still more to explore, or has this ballet simply become a stale staple of the holiday season? Haley, you can start this one. Oh, me. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready to answer that yet. I mean, I'm I'm very I'm very forward thinking in the way where I think that a lot of things should just had its life and should be put to rest. You know, I'm I'm a very you know I don't believe in a lot of um, theater that's <laughs> going on. Uh, I think that theater like there is a reason why mm-hmm. it should be seen live. And that reason becomes less and less of an imperative nowadays with the advent of television and Netflix and movies and it mm-hmm. being accessible. Something like the nut- Nutcracker, like you're paying like probably hundreds of dollars for a ticket. It's not accessible. It's not a kid's dream to like go <laughs> see the Nutcracker. Like they want to play smash bros and pokemon at home on like a switch you know what i'm saying so i'm just i'm kind of forward thinking in that way where i'm like i'm not gonna try to force my kids to see something like this just because it's like Mm -hmm. you should have an education no i think it's about like what Mm -hmm. appeals to people and how do you educate Mm -hmm. based on the new realms in which we're you know in which we're experiencing Mm -hmm. art like in mm-hmm. video games, in movies, in streaming television. Those mm-hmm. are all art forms as well that yeah. are developing and we're in the golden age of those things. So we're losing the reason to see theater like this mm-hmm. and that's really sad, but sometimes that that's that, that's mm-hmm. the evolution of life. Like we mm-hmm. go through phases like this and some things get lost mm-hmm. or they get reinvented. So unless I see mm-hmm. ballet and dance being reinvented for a 21st century audience in which it can still survive mm-hmm. in a new way, I don't see something like this being mm-hmm. carried forward. Emma, I see you nodding along there. As someone who's performed this and has lived with this piece, it, what are your thoughts? It, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a very long time ago. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a weird relationship that I have to this piece because like uh, getting to perform it, I growing up hated ballet, like it never fit my body. And then getting to do the Nutcracker, mm-hmm. I had to technically do ballet. And so I had to kind of like tell myself I wasn't really doing ballet, but mm-hmm. it allowed me to figure out that I love performing. And that's how I like, found mm-hmm. what I wanted to be a dancer, but just not through ballet. Um, so, so I do have a lot of, a lot of love for it. I don't, my hope for the Nutcracker is that it doesn't come back unless it comes back reinvented, mm-hmm. um, from the smallest scale to biggest scale. Completely agree with you. We're like, yeah, is it anyone's dream to go spend $200 on a ticket? <laughs> no, we don't need that anymore. But we also, in another way, I think a lot of people do need or miss that closeness. And like, that's going to feel more important now also. So like, we can let go of a lot of crap Mm -hmm. with theater and with dance that we had before if we do it right. But then we can also really like appreciate how amazing those experiences can be and how that communal energy can be unbelievable. And Mm -hmm. hopefully we can make it better, both Mm -hmm. in terms of the content and who gets in the door. Um, so yeah, I think the Nutcracker is so much. It could be exciting. It has so much to explore because mm-hmm. they should like re-explore mm-hmm. the whole show. Yeah, <laughs> and like not come back without a re-explored whole show. So like, cool moment in time because mm-hmm. like you're gonna do it or not, ballet. Like, mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing mm-hmm. what you present to us next year. Like, fingers crossed. Not the highest hopes, but like fingers crossed it's been a hard year that's why <laughs> like, you know hopes like not really a thing anymore but yeah hopes, yeah. Mm-hmm. hopes we can say because it could yeah. be exciting yeah. absolutely and the what are your thoughts there. yeah i also think the nutcracker could be so exciting and i think i kind of have a very specific position uh uh in relation to it so um again I can speak for myself only, um, but I think um, there are two reasons I can think of right now uh, where for which I would say like unequivocally, like I think we should keep going with the Nutcracker. Like I will be like try to be optimistic here, um, and that is that um, uh, the first one. So the first one would be the the story, and I think there's a lot of potential with the story, and I think it ha- it's not a potential that's always realize because of the way the Nutcracker has been marketed and positioned in society. Like, I think that's the problem. I think the way that it's cliche and the way that it's marketed, like how popular it is, all those things are actually setting it back Mm -hmm. in a way. So I think there's lots of opportunity for different Nutcrackers, very different ones. And when I say storyline, I mean, like, listen, so it's a story about a little girl and she like, like realizes her dreams like that's really cool i think mm-hmm. in a way right and 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 uh you know there's various interpretations of it where it can be about a little girl who sort of uh you know um actualizes her creative power because she has such a such a such a rich imagination that she conjures up all of these fantastical things so it can sort of attest to the um to the creative power of a girl, like cool. Mm-hmm. And then also it can be in other interpretations, this coming of age story where this little girl becomes a woman, which is a sugar plum fairy. So I think there's like potential there. It's just sometimes visually, it's not translated mm-hmm. in fresh and exciting ways, like for 21st century mm-hmm. audiences. And so the, the way that it's positioned can make it a little bit stale as you word in the question. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it has to be that way. Um, 
And then, of course, the other part, the other reason why I think like we we should try at least is uh, I'll preface it with uh, an article that I've read, which argues for ballet as an um, ethnic form of dance. Mm. Um, I forget the actual. It's I think the uh, article title is actually about seeing ballet as an ethnic form of dance. So I think the issue sort of underlying a lot of why the Nutcracker is overrated, let's just like call it for what it is, is that it's considered like the end all and be all. Like it's considered like ballet is the dance. Like I don't I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to approach mm-hmm. the genre, Nutcracker and otherwise, because it's actually a very specific uh, like um, sort of cultural dance in mm-hmm. a way, you know, like it belongs to a specific culture. And so that, that brings me to my second reason is that I feel like it's part of my heritage and so like just the the fact that my grandmother my great-grandmother my mother and then me grew up on it um is quite special mm-hmm. and it, it it has a lot of like cult specific cultural uh it's almost like a time capsule like a historical capsule right mm-hmm. so i think there is a place for historical capsules as in theater and it just needs to be positioned that way like we need to acknowledge that it's it's a product of its time and place, of its circumstances and its context, and that the intentions of the people back then might not align with our intentions for it now. But sort of to just say that, I think it's not said enough. So people assume that uh, Nutcracker producers are trying to um, sort of create or are, are sort of trying to set back like aesthetic progress in dance or something like that. I think that's an assumption that's often made and for very fair reasons. But again, I don't think it it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. So for those two reasons, let's keep going. Let's try to reinvent it. As mm-hmm. Haley and Emma said, let's let's just rip, like take risks with it mm-hmm. a little more. Mm-hmm. So that's my that's my stance. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to echo a lot of the points that have been said. So I'll, I'll wrap this up as quickly as I can. So to answer the first part, why is this become such the classic that it is? To be honest, the market's very thin. Like, there's not a lot of material that is dance holiday specific. Like, uh, I, I, there's I, 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 there's very little material in that arsenal of, of 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 work that a dance studio, like a local dance studio or something that could bond that is directly specific to the holidays. The Nutcracker story in itself set around Christmas time. It fits that time of year. So it's one of those things where, like, because it's it's such a niche market of what other things you're going to put on at this time of year that's going to get everybody into a dance recital besides like just doing regular dances like there's something special about that that because it's become it's because it's in such a niche group like the only other thing i could think of that is as iconic as the nutcracker is the holiday rockettes in new york that their holiday show they do every year that's the only other big dance holiday spectacular thing i could think of that is almost up at that same level as a nutcracker so i think because it's yes both have to do with money. exactly so that's the thing there where it's like that, where, where it's like it's a very niche group of material that you can choose from that's going to be holiday specific. So I think that's why the Nutcracker has become what it is. Now, that being said, I do think it's become a little bit of a, a little bit of a stale staple where we haven't seen a leap in evolution in, in ways to adapt it. And I think there is opportunities for, for adaptations in ways you can fix the story up. Like I would love to see more focus put on the plot and clarifying the plot and exploring these characters because that's what dance is like people forget that i mean there's the mantra in theater that when you can't speak anymore you sing and when you can't sing you dance 
to express the to express your emotions and the story that's being told. And when you can do that uh, with this piece, when you're exploring the internal struggles of a character like Clara, who is growing up and is having these experiences, you can get into a lot of great bit of dance. Like, like I'm sure all of us have seen movement pieces that have really explored something through physicality that is really special and, and can tell a really unique story. So I think there's something in that that you can really get into. And even with like the Rat King, like there's so much more movement stuff you can do than just giving somebody a big fake rat head to wear on stage. Like there's so much more. I mean, I hate to sound, I, I hate to bring up Cats again, but that's something that Cats as a musical did really well was that the physicality that went into that stage work of having these actors and leotards becoming cats and then putting on a, a big shoe and becoming a dog and doing all these other things. Like that's what made that piece of work so spectacular was that physicality and that exploration you could do. Now, that being said, cats doesn't give a lot of dramaturgical exploration. It's a movement piece. Um, we, we, yes. Can I say a fun story? I know oh, the one really? who taught cat school at Cats. Awesome. Yeah, I did a residency at with school. Her. She's like, yeah, I taught cat school. I taught them how to be like a cat. I hate cats. Let's just talk about the fact that I was called cat school. Killing. Yeah, they were, she's like, they asked me if I would teach cat school. And I said, I'm I remember dead. doing the workshop with, with, with one of the original Toronto <laughs> cats performers back in my dancing where we did like an eight hour workshop day of learning the opening number. And it's physically exhausting to do that type of dance. I have to say the amount of physical attention to detail with the way your hands are and the way your legs move like people don't fully appreciate the amount of work those dancers put into that physicality but that all being said like this we did we did it was a good tangent we got that being topic. said though it, it was gonna happen at some point it's about to um, happen sometimes it's further on the roof sometimes it's cats it's a thing um but all that being said like ballet is a beautiful technique and it's the roots of dance. It's like learning Shakespeare. To understand your craft, you got to know the roots. And to, it's part of that thing. So learning ballet is key, but I think there's a lot you can do. Like contemporary dance has definitely, had, you can see the tie back to ballet. There is definitely a, a, a linear line you can see in the history of movement there so i think you but now now nowadays we are trying to push Perfect. away against that yeah. mentality in all the schools centering ballet as like uh mm -hmm. contemporary comes from modern yeah. which came like out of elements of ballet but also created their entire yeah. other techniques that actually mm -hmm. don't need ballet anymore and so they're like we're it's really becoming a nicer conversation to have that all these schools that center ballet as the fundamental thing that we all have to train in is now Good. That's exactly like, what is yeah. this like colonial nonsense that we've been taught? Because like we actually don't. Yes, exactly. But it is, and, and, it's and that, that's exactly it. Like, like, like you don't have to be yeah. so rigid in like doing perfect ballet for the Nutcracker. I would love like I'm not sure how much I would enjoy it, but I would love somebody to try doing like a hip hop Nutcracker. Why not? Shake it up. Um, I I was reminded of. I think it was in the 90s. I don't know if any of you have seen. Sorry to just go off topic really quickly. Uh, I think it was Mark mm -hmm. Morris did something called The Hard Nut. I was a kid when I saw it. But, and I remember being like, oh, this is weird. But I think I like it. What's happening? And it scared me a little for my age. But it was it was trying to do something yes. else with the Nutcracker. And like, we need 
more of that. And I was yeah. like, one thing that I saw way back then. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where has yeah. been this I think pushing it's a jazz it nutcracker, right? Like in this, a vase in like 60s attire and with some drag. Oh, that's cool. I think. Yeah, he's jazz, modern. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then like, where... Where was that continuation? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's out there. That I'm sure that's out there. Yeah. We just need to find yeah. it. And we need to elevate it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I yeah, do yeah. think there is something in this material that you definitely can excavate and pick apart. I don't think this is as stale of a staple as it's become. I, th- I think it's become that because we've become complacent in what it is. And it's become this cash cow of a machine. But... I do think there is something in there, and it, and I hope that when we get back into the live theater world again, we will see some more updated and new stagings of the Nutcracker. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So. Mm-hmm. There we go. Amen. Oh my goodness. We made it through, everybody. We're, Yay. We've gone on the Nutcracker dream, and now we've come back cool. out again at the, end of, at, at the end of it. There we go. Well done. Yeah, how long has it been? What year is it? Is it 2021 yet? <laughs> Almost. We're only a few weeks away. <laughs> Please. Yep. <laughs> Someone get me now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So before we head out, though, why don't we all give our social plugs so in case people do want to engage us in a bigger conversation or if they just want to reach out to you, uh, you're happy to give whatever social media plug you want uh i mean if you if your facebook account is private and you don't want random strangers messaging you on facebook you don't have to offer that if there's just a twitter account you want people to follow what be it so uh anna you can start where like where can people find and follow you if you would like that sure thank you for offering that uh, opportunity um i'm actually only on instagram i have facebook but i don't use i don't really mm-hmm. go on it so my instagram if anybody wants to follow is public it's more of a personal page mm-hmm. but i post some artwork uh, like some paintings that I do and some uh, movement stuff, mm-hmm. like rehearsal of acrobatic dance <laughs> uh, sometimes. Um, and that is at Rocco Compost. Mm-hmm. So R-O-C-O-C-O-M-P-O-S-T. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then if anybody ever wants to read some of the performance re- reviews I've done for um, mostly National Ballet, actually, here in Toronto, mm-hmm. Uh, they can be found at the Dance Current magazine, like online, mm-hmm. um, on the website. Just look up my name. And uh, the Blue Ryband blog. So I think that's uh, B, like Bryband.com. So B R I B A N D.com. Awesome. That's pretty much it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Emma, where can people find you? Um, so, same thing. I, I kind of mm-hmm. keep my Facebook uh, to my own life. But then. <laughs> um, Instagram at EKSK or you can Perfect. just go to my website, emmacurson.ca. Person is spelled Perfect. like person. Just Wonderful. Haley, where yeah. can people follow you in all your escapades besides watching you on things like Shit's Creek? <laughs> so uh, you can find me on my Instagram at Hala, H-A-E-L, then five A's at the end, Hala. Or you can visit my IMDb page, uh, Haley Pace, IMDb, H-A-Y-L-E-Y. Or my website, HaleyPace.com. Fantastic. Uh, You can follow me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Just look for the uh, ginger-haired profile picture. Very easy to find. Uh, You can follow my podcast, Before the Downbeat, at Before the Downbeat on all social media networks. As of today... 
Wednesday, we have actually just released our review of the new Netflix film, The Prom. So you can hear all about what we thought of all the performances. Do we like James Corden? Did we not? Find out. Tune in. Um, so we are, so you can definitely tune in for that. We just released our holiday episode, which was all about A Christmas Carol, a musical, which was done by Al Macon and Lynn Ahrens. So great bit of discussion was had there. Uh, you can follow Cup of Hemlock at all social media platforms. Uh, and stay tuned for more fun material coming in January. We have a lot more uh, duet reviews, and uh, we and we are working currently working on a special nine part series. So stay tuned for that coming at you probably in February. That's all I'll say on that front. But other than that, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, have a great and happy holidays. Thank you so much for being on this journey with us all through 2020. We look forward to bringing you more great content. And hopefully to have all you wonderful panelists coming back for more episodes come 2021. So until then, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and have a great evening.